Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. This is a Paramount podcast. I am Mike Casaza welcoming in Chris Anderson to preview the Backyard Brawl back at Mountaineer Field for the first time since 2011. The Mountaineers 3-7 and seven in their last 10 home games against Pitt. Lost the reboot last year at Akrasher Stadium. Vengeance game right now. 7.30 p.m. kickoff on ABC. Chris, narrow point spread here. Two points. I don't know what the action will be closer to kickoff. Um, this was about a touchdown a week ago. However, the Panthers lose at home to Cincinnati. And just enough there to fill up our podcast here, but also to affect the point spread a little bit and make this, um, I don't want to say a toss-up, but certainly two points at home. Kick a little bit more for the home team advantage Pitt remains a favorite but a slight favorite and yet probably gonna see some action on the Mountaineers toward the kickoff huh they're not even waiting till kickoff uh, I'm looking at it here and this is according to uh PFS green line uh, which is like their betting section 87 percent of the money right now as of Wednesday afternoon when we're recording this is on West Virginia University to win the game outright. I wonder why. Perhaps we can get into 87%. Some... Yeah, perhaps we can get to some explanations here, but there certainly seem to be a couple there. Um, both sides of the ball, advantages for both sides. We'll probably find out this will be a little bit more even as we discuss it. This just seems like it's not only just one-on-one teams that aren't very far from each other, Power 5 conferences trying to figure out what they're doing with changes on offense and maybe even on defense too. I don't know, probably get right into it now. But first, let me ask you this. Does Neil Brown get it now? The uh, the cr- criticism of him from last year to now is that perhaps he did not fully grasp the gravity of the game. I'm not sure I really got that. I think he got caught in an unfortunate hot mic moment with Pat Narduzzi, which he certainly seemed to reference this week, if not the moment and some of the flack he's gotten because of that. But Really no shortage of attention paid to that game last summer. A number of people who came in and talked to the team. However, we did um, kind of, uh, you and I have talked for something that's coming up later on, a Pat McAfee soundbite where it just seems like West Virginia is on the wrong side of the perception when it comes to some of these games, be that Penn State, which is what Pat was talking about, and maybe even Pitt now, which is a game that means a lot to a ton of people here in Morgantown. I think that he probably gets that now after having gone through it once. But does this line up for him now? And do you think he approaches it as a not only a rivalry game, but a one he really does have to win? I think he fully grasps what this means now. I think the flack he caught in I don't know how much he caught for what he said, like you said, during the mic moment, which really annoyed me because when you have those private conversations with the other coach and and, and like he mentioned this week, like it, it's awkward. Like, what do you say? Like, hey, how's it going? I'm here to kick your butt cool like you just start saying things and half of it you don't really mean oh team looks good this year stuff like that and so i i hated that he caught flack for that but he did catch flack for for the, the loss and the way it happened and not going for it on fourth down and stuff like that and i think that stuck with him i think he he understands and he needs or he needs to understand how much this game means to the fans 
but also, I mean, really just how much it means to his resume and what he's accomplished here at West Virginia and whether or not he can, you know, stick around as head coach moving forward. Yeah, and these darn West Virginia coaches not knowing when they're on the air just always gets you in trouble, huh? Certainly, I think I'm, what happened later. Going there. Don't do it. I think what happened later in the game and, and kicking on fourth and one up by seven with, you know, just a couple of minutes left. Oh, man, you get a first down, you hold on the ball, you probably win that game. But a hindsight, nobody wants to engage it as they have a really good punt and then give up a crazy touchdown. I think it was a dump pass and like a five broken tackle play, but had the ball with plenty of time. And then just the ball skips through Bryce Ford Wheaton's hands. Um, I don't know. You, you let the ghost into the room sometimes and you can get spooked. You could have really uh, locked the door there and kept him out and just gone for it on fourth down and see what happens. But hindsight, that's our um, our, uh, our our pal in conversations like this, but it's also a pain in the neck for coaches who have to deal with that stuff even a year after the fact. Let's start on the offensive side. For West Virginia, Chris, trench game? That's kind of been Pitt's MO for the last couple of years. They've had award winners, high draft picks um, on that defensive line. Maybe not the the star power, but perhaps sim- a similar situation that you might talk about for West Virginia. They might not have a star like a Stills, but they have a combination of players who can nevertheless be productive. Pitt seems to be up to the same thing, have some veterans who have maybe matriculated the program into this position right now, making some noise, but still getting sacks, still getting a lot of heat in the quarterback and trying to figure it out in the back end. Again, this sounds a little bit familiar to West Virginia, but this is kind of the plight that Pitt has right now. They've gotten 32 pressures on the quarterback in two games, and, and in that Wofford game, you know, that they're rolling in second and third-teamers third pretty early in that blowout. So to see them put up those kind of numbers through two games is pretty impressive. Now, granted, some of those come from, from linebackers, from guys who are going to be on that second, third level, even blitzing in. Um, but – you know, you look at a couple of the guys that are starting or contributing on the defensive line in the trenches, and and they're big impact guys. I think uh, I believe I'm pronouncing this correctly, but Dayon Hayes, mm-hmm. like he's good. He's very good. He he was good last year. He's started out even hotter this year. He leads the team with seven pressures, and he's one of the highest graded players according to PFF. And 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 he's done that. You know, despite again, I think he only played like 18 snaps or something like that in the first game, 20 snaps. Um, so he is somebody that certainly one of several that West Virginia is going to have to keep an eye on. Yeah. This is what Pat Narduzzi does four years in a row prior to this, they finished first or second in the FBS and sacks 3.0 a game right now. That's number 28. So they got some time to get up there, got some ground to gain too, but kind of what they do. He's a four, three guy, the, the shape and the speed and the make of the linebackers can be different, but it's four, three. It's what he did at Cincinnati, what he did at Michigan state. Michigan State's kind of in the news right now. So is Pat for that reason, too. Um, but it's kind of what he's done for a long time. And I think that making maybe last year's familiarity with him and, and trying to figure out you know, how to get to know this guy, that should be a little bit easier this time around, too. But uh, looking at last week's game against Cincinnati, really not sure how much you can stare at the Wofford game and go, hmm, okay, uh, minus one yard rushing, that's scary. But a totally different result against Cincinnati. Cincinnati ran the ball. Um, in particular, one way that I think we're going to talk about here, but very effective, um, big plays, key plays, and and kind of just found a rhythm and found some things that worked, and it, and it really wasn't that exotic either. Yeah, they they packed it in tight. They didn't spread it out wide and then and then run up the middle. They packed it in tight, 
and then ran it back up the middle. Um, there was a little bit of misdirection, and I'll have some of that in my three key matchups. I got a couple uh, audio-visual aids, if you will, to help out with that. But even without that, I can relay to you via two stats right here, right now. Middle left, middle right, which means off the center's left shoulder, off the center's right shoulder. So as up the middle as you can literally get. 7.1 yards per carry for Cincinnati in week two. Everywhere else, every other run, any other gap, any other player, anything, 2.7 yards per carry. So if you're trying to get out wide, if you're trying to spread it and try to beat them with speed, it's going to be difficult. But Cincinnati had all sorts of success running the ball up the middle. Yeah, and the run is going to be important. Um, Clever stat on Brown. I'm not sure how clever it is, but it certainly does seem like it's important. Um, At West Virginia, 10-0 and when he runs for 200 yards. You're like, okay, well, that makes sense. But 200 yards is – I don't know that that's like a faraway number. It wasn't before. Maybe it is now with how much that you see uh, like the run game – taking a back seat to the pass but he's gotten there 10 times and I think it's been more recent with some of the running backs he's had and some of the um, I think growth in the offensive line and ways they can move the ball there too but is 200 a realistic goal in a game like this because I can just tell you like I was looking at some CFB graph stuff and they have a stat for like the ratio of runs over expectations which means how often a team runs more than the average team would in that situation and these two teams are aggressively high. Like they run the ball more than you should, more than most other teams should. 200 is, I'm not sure if that's a goal, like, you know, 20 points was against Penn State, but 200 yards might be enough here. And sometimes 100 yards is enough for Brown, too, which is kind of weird because there's not a whole lot of games with 100 yards in the first two plus seasons. But 200 does the trick here, I think, don't you? Uh, it would certainly fit the trend. You, you noted the 10 and 0, and that includes. 5-0 and last year. All five wins, they ran for 200 yards. All seven losses, they ran for fewer than 200 yards. It's about as cut and dry as you can get right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, passing game here, we're probably going to talk about it just because, you know, there's a Hudson Clement thing. But also, Chris, they're going to get a lot of juice back. Devin Carter is a starter, and that's a guy they brought in to be that number one, whether that's at X or Z now. He missed the game. Traylon Ray was... I don't know, maybe like a top four, top three receiver for them coming out of the preseason. Um, I don't hold the first game against Penn State against them because that was Penn State, but also we've since found out that he was kind of injured before that. EJ Horton is outrunning passes that should be thrown incomplete over his head in practice, apparently. That's good. That's a lot of juice, like I said, and this is an offense that has not had juice up until Hudson Clement coming in. And I don't know how many times you're going to see busted plays and like, uh, pump and go routes against you know better secondaries and if he can replicate that success but maybe he doesn't have to if they get those other playmakers back what are the keys here because again I think I think if they can get these trains on the track they can really move the ball in a big play fashion on offense like they haven't been able to before you know maybe Saturday against Duquesne you mentioned it, big play right there. Devin Carter, he's supposed to be, I mean, all the comparisons of Bryce Ford Wheaton for those deep passes, big guy, deep pass, big jumps. Um, EJ Horton, he's a speedster that you're supposed to hit downfield. Traylon Ray has been an outside guy that's that's done damage deep. Hudson Clement was making big plays. 
Cincinnati in week two threw the ball 18 times short or behind the line of scrimmage and could only muster 43 yards out of that. 18 passes to get 43 yards. When they threw it at least 10 yards down the field, I'm not even talking like, you know, bombs, just 10 yards down the field. That's it. Five completions for 82 yards. Like there, there is some wiggle room once you get down the field or start looking down the field, getting vertical against this pit defense. And it, and it, this kind of jives with the same running uh, statistic we were talking about. It, it's just that it has a nice defensive line, and it seems like they have some speedy or some you know guys that really get their their nose on the ball on the second and third levels. Because if you try to stretch plays out, if you try to get to the edge. It's not working. It's the ones that go straight up the middle on the run and the passes that are going downfield. That's when people are finding success against them. Yeah. Uh, Cincinnati, even with Emory Jones, not a lot of RPOs. And if you watched Pat Narduzzi's press conference, he charted West Virginia's RPOs, to sound like, at 60%. Um, and he said that's kind of new to them, so they're going to see it. So this is going to be on green to do that, but that is also a situation where the run game is working all of a sudden those RPOs are going to hit because there's going to be space and you're going to have those corners looking somewhere, the safety's looking somewhere, and there's going to be an, a, an opportunity there to make some plays and to catch the ball and run, both of them being important too. But West Virginia, I don't know, where are they at on the screen game? Because that's a lot of your behind-the-line stuff too. I, I have an explanation, I think, for Cincinnati's behind-the-line stuff, and I can get to that. But West Virginia's screen game, I don't think it's lit the world on fire yet, but I don't feel like they did a ton of it against Duquesne, and maybe it's better. Maybe they saw the Penn State results and said, not right now or not this team. Well, I hope it's not right now or maybe cut back on it. Not entirely. I mean, you need it. I know people, I know these screen passes drive people nuts, and and I do believe that maybe West Virginia runs it, screen passes and tunnel screens and whatever you want to call these different variations these short and behind the line of scrimmage passes. I think they run them too much. So I'm with you. Is this another one of those changes that maybe West Virginia was willing to make after the first game, after they saw what happened uh, against Penn state? I'm not sure. You mentioned that Cincinnati had some, some tight formations inside, not a great heavy tight end team, but they brought their receivers in like they were using like 10 personnel, but they had the receivers really bunched in the line of scrimmage. But also in that, Chris, they used their receivers a bunch like in the passing game in the flat. Um, they gave receivers some handoffs. They had a receiver throw a pass on a handoff in the backfield too. So there was some window dressing there. And I think they were trying to maybe pack them in to spread them out. That makes sense. Like could Pitt race out to the edges and beat blocks to make tackles on swing passes or um, handoffs to receivers there. That might be something that West Virginia looks at. They kind of got into that with Rodney Gallagher. And if Horton's going to be back there, hey, there's a way to get him going. Um, they mentioned that there's different things they want to do to get Garrett Green on track. Is that a screen? Is that something that's kind of like, you know, free money, I guess, so to speak, where just a quick one that he sees the ball move, he feels good about it. That could be something here, too. Um, I'm reading from Narduzzi's press conference here. He says, every run, they will have a run pass and option off of it, whether it's a screen, whether it's a vertical route. Quarterback keeps it on the zone read, they, but they've got vertical routes running off the edge by two receivers. It's a ton of one-on-one stuff, Chris, and if they're going to play man or if you're going to be in zones and one-on-ones and you've got that juice back or if you've got some some potency you maybe haven't had before, maybe it's just better in week three, this does line up to be a game where if Green makes the right decisions, if he succeeds where he has so far succeeded, I think his decision-making so far has been 
thumbs up from the coaches, uh, his demeanor, the way he's kept his head on straight. People seem to like that about him, and maybe that's a little bit of a surprise. Can he sustain it? Um, if he gives his guys chances to make plays and he makes the right decision and picks the right guy out and makes the right throw, this really does line up as a chance for him to have a good game. Conversely, if he doesn't, if he can't, if he won't do those things that are required, Pitt's defense kind of lives off sacks and turnovers uh, under Narduzzi. 21 defensive touchdowns in 20 games. They are 15-5 and five when they score a defensive touchdown, and that would include last season's game against West Virginia, where there was a pick six that decided the game. So it could be like, not a coin flip, but it could be that narrow of a difference there. Can they win one-on-ones? Can they make the right decisions? MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Can't help but think back to there's been a lot of comments. I mean, Jordan Leslie's made some comments lately about, you know, some certain players just have to play better. And even before that, and even going back in the last season, there were some comments made by Neil Brown about, you know, uh, I think his his phrase was, we have to win one-on-ones. Like, and, and that's coming up again and again and again. And at some point, yeah, like that that's the difference in the game. Like you can blame, you can blame uh, play calling and game planning and all this stuff, but eventually it just comes down to who's going to win the battle against the guy right across from him. And, and here we go again with that with that uh, topic. Yep. Um, we mentioned 10 and 0 with 200 plus yards, 5 and 0 last year. So again, growth. Uh, 19 and 5 with 100 yards. So 24 games in four plus seasons with 100 yards rushing. That's not great, but they've done that in the past couple of years. Here's one for you, Chris. Points per game. I don't, I don't, that's probably to me the most valuable stat in college football, the way the offenses have gone, but the way the defenses have learned to survive or make a difference. Um, Brown is one in 19 against FBS teams when he scores fewer or scores 20 or fewer points, 20 games against the FBS with 20 or fewer points. Um, He wanted to play the game in the twenties against Penn state, which meant he let's get over 20. Let's not limit ourselves to 20 and fall to one and 19. It's pretty humble. Again, this is some stuff where it, and it's, it's the first couple of years, maybe first year really weak on offense and had some stretches where they were getting seven, 13, 14 points in a row, but they've had a couple of the past two seasons too. It's within them, and a good defense could put the clamps on them and give them trouble. Did not happen last year against Pitt. Um, obviously, a different story in the opener this year, and then who knows what you make out of the Duquesne game. But 18 points isn't going to do it. I feel like 24, 27, I mean, yeah, it's going to be a close game, and something like that might be on the table, but I don't know if you feel comfortable playing that game. I just 30 should not be an unreasonable expectation for a team. And, you know, had they gotten, had Pitt gotten to the 30s last week, they win. Had Cincinnati gotten into the 30s, they win by more than just six. I don't know how they're going to win this game with 24, 21 points the way we've seen their defense play so far. It seems like they have to be aggressive, which may mean going for it fourth and one uh, on the plus side of the field. I don't see a scenario where where they're winning this game with less than 30 points even. I mean, I, I hate to say that, but I just think this team's going to have to score unless something drastically changes with that secondary. And – Hey, great stat with that one in 19. Cause I was like, wait, what? 
I, what was the one? Can, can you name the one? I, I just looked it up, so I cheated. But can you can you think of it off the top of your head? Yeah, it was the first year at the end of the season. Was it TCU? Yeah. Yeah. Season finale of his first year, 20 to 17 over TCU. Miserable game, too. I believe it was like icy and rainy and everything like that, too. So not not the best. Um, and they, they tripped and fell on the points that day, too, because there was a busted play with Daggy too. I think, Ford Wheaton. Um, yep. And it just happened. So, yeah, I mean, not lucky. Not lucky, but you can see how close it is to being 0-20. Um, let's get to that d- defense, Chris. Um, I just want to start in the secondary because that's where the fire is going to either start or be put out. Um, it's the kitchen, I guess. And if it's too hot, people will get out, and they're going to put people out there. Um, who are you starting at corner and cat and free safety? Cool. Okay, you're making me do all of them. All right. Um, uh, Beanie Bishop starting. I do think they make the change of Malachi Ruffin for Andrew Wilson Lamp. I think you are in a scenario where Wilson Lamp, if things go 100% right, or Jacoby Spells, if things go right, their ceiling's higher. But you can't be rolling the dice hoping at this point. I mean, you've, you've given opportunities, and I think they're going to make that change to Ruffin. Um, cat and free, you said. Mm-hmm. Are those the other two you wanted me to check out? I don't really want to mess with Spear, do you? No, no, I don't. Oh man, Here's you, I mean, I, okay, problem, I, I right? guess like... instead of me asking, uh, naming two people, I guess really the, the question is, do I think Marcus Floyd is going to come back and be the savior of the secondary? Is that what you're asking me? Would you run them out there first snap, first game back? I mean, do you think, yeah, I guess like, let, let's do that. We know who the corners are in your in your estimation probably is what I would say too. Actually, exactly what I would say. I don't think you take Aubrey Burks out. Um, that's the guy they said was the best safety in the Big 12. You know, that that type of guy could be in the NFL. Um, he's not. He might be, but he's not as bad as the tape and the numbers show. So he's got to stay out there. And then again, is it Floyd? Is it, it's not Cobb. Um, is it Wilson? Don't know. Yeah, I just I just don't see it changing right now. I think it's going to stay with like I mean changing the rough end piece at one of the corners, but safety. No, I think it's going to be the same three safeties. I know they said promotions and demotions, but I think that's really going to come down to maybe the second string for some of those other spots, and really just a split of reps in other situations or how they come out in certain packages. I'm glad you put that demarcation in there too, because they did say promotions to motions and some guys be playing fewer snaps that probably applies to Cobb and Wilson because of their play, but also because that you're going to have Floyd back and there's no reason to keep him on the bench when this team, this defense has played like it has. Um, I'd like to start on the defense versus offense matchup here, just sticking in the secondary here. Um, Ruffin was really good against Duquesne. And again, that's not unexpected because you should be good against Duquesne. But he was targeted six times. Like he came in when Duquesne was starting to think they could throw the ball and make things happen. He was targeted six times, gave up no catches. Um, He's given up one catch and seven targets a season. So 0 for 6 is pretty good start for him in that past game. They're going to look for him to build off of that. Um, They've got to be better. They've got to be near the ball more, obviously. And that just means not only playing these silly cushions on situation they should know better but they got to be near the receiver and you see what happens like on the beanie bishop interception that's a really good play but also that's because he stuck his nose in there and made a play too many times west virginia is out of the picture (laughs) never mind like out of the play but out of the picture getting back in the picture then getting back in the play to make a tackle 
Can't do that. I bring this up because Pitt has a fascinating study of receiver and Bub Means. Um, targeted 15 times this year, two catches. He has six contested targets, no catches. And that includes last week going over five when one cornerback from Pitt stuck in the entire game and broke up four passes against him, five in the game, but just shut down Means. And Means is their big guy, big play receiver. I think Mumfield may be better overall with what they're trying to do, but when they try to make something happen, it does seem like it has been Means before, and they want to do that this year, hence the 15 targets in two games, but hasn't worked. And if Cincinnati can do it, West Virginia should be able to do it or at least mimic it. And if West Virginia can mimic it, it's a lot better than what we've seen in the first two games. Yeah, looking at their at their numbers, and I think when when I start off this section for our report card for WVU with the PFF grades, and I think each of the first two games, and maybe both each of the last two games from last year, the players of below average, the worst players, the very very bottom, were all receivers. That was the case again this week, and it's the case for for Pitt too. It's it, it, it's it's dreadful looking and they don't play a lot of them. They really don't. Like, I mean, it's, it's means, like you said, Mumfield, those are the only two guys that have more than, um, well, and then there's Reynolds at 62 snaps. So there's those three guys. And then everybody else is, but the next best one is the true freshman, Kenny Johnson, good player, but true freshman with 19 snaps. Like that's it. So not a lot of receivers. You got to keep an eye on. They don't seem to have a ton of options out there to really help them. You know, we're talking about West Virginia getting all these guys back and having options and trying to do things to figure out their problems. It's just got to make those guys that they have work. And that's it. They're going to incorporate the tight end too. Like Bartholomew is a decent player. Um, and because they're, like you said, there's scarcity of receivers. That's a guy who can run routes and get open, but they keep him in the game too. Cause some stuff they do on the offensive line. Um, Burks, Cobb and Wilson in the pro football focused coverage ratings nationally are all among the 53 worst safeties. Um, Burks is 19th worst. Wilson is 29th and Cobb is 53rd. Uh, happen to think the Burks is better than that. And that Wilson can be better than that. Cobb just don't know. I, he's like a positionless guy. He's playing nickel. He's playing extra safety. It might just be hard for him to do that. But um, when you put Floyd in, that's a guy who's been a good cover corner, but he was, I think quietly with some of the problems that they had in the back end last year, Brown never named him, but Brown said one reason they had problems was they picked out who the cat safety was. He didn't say cat, but he said they picked out who their inferior cover safety was and went at him. And don't forget, he was an all America corner, at the FCS level, but they got him on campus and said, this guy's a safety. So can he play corner? No. Can he be a cover safety? It's going to happen better than he was last year. But, and this is the problem, Chris, like they just don't have a lot of answers. And even Brown said this week, don't have numbers where they don't want them to be, and they've missed some evaluations, not just in this class, but in the past couple of years where just didn't work out, didn't have the people that they wanted to, um, to do the things that they need to do right now, which is have more competition and have more options in the back end. But right now you're looking at Ruffin, Bishop, Wilson Lamp, Spells, Jordan Jackson, question mark. And then for safety, you've got Burks, Wilson, Cobb, Floyd, and then I just don't know what to do with Avery Wilcox. I mean, they'll play walk-ons. They're being cheered for that. And Wilcox did have an interception and does some stuff on special teams. I guess if it gets, if it goes from bad to worse, then he might be an option. But again, you, you're kind of really realizing how how deep they they cannot go and how deep they may have to go. So you're telling me it's not a good thing that the savior of the defense 
is the guy that was pinpointed as the biggest weakness of the defense last year? I think he helps, but I just don't think that that's Windex. You know, I don't think he he clears everything up for everybody. It's a tough spot to be in because you're right. I mean, we're talking about all these guys, and it's like, all right, who who's next up? Who's going to step up? Just like I was talking about with Pitt's receivers, where it doesn't seem like they have a ton of options to kind of replace and figure some out. West Virginia secondary is in the same spot. We're 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 going back to, I hate the term retread. Um, it, it's certainly derogatory. But that's kind of what's happening here, returning to guys that they've already tried, and then they're going to try again, and then they're going to try it again, and then they're going to try a walk-on, and then they're going to try a true freshman, and then they're back to the guy they originally signed with. And it's never good when you're doing that. Let's go to the quarterback, someone you know. But Phil Jerkovich, I don't know if he's the best quarterback they've seen or the worst quarterback they've seen. I'm not even sure that Pitt knows right now. But um, according to Pitt's record-keeping, he got hit 21 times last week. I believe he was sacked six times, completed 10 passes and 32 attempts, I'm pretty sure. Um, just not great. And what's startling, Chris, is that when he is kept clean, no pressure, no blitz, 19 completions and 36 attempts. That is 53%. Kept clean. Now, the average depth of target is 14 and a half yards. That's great, right? It means he's seeing it and he's getting there, but that is a pretty low completion percentage for being kept clean. Uh, when he's blitz, he's 11 for 32. That's 34%, but pretty close number when you think about 34%, 53%. Okay, fine. But you're talking 11 of 32, 19 for 36. Comparable sample sizes. And neither one of those is a very good result. I, I mean, so here's what you do. Do you blitz him like crazy and help your secondary? Or do you say, wait a minute, when he's clean, he hasn't been very good either. This is kind of a fascinating thing for what West Virginia does. They may have to help themselves by shortening plays with a pass rush, which they have been able to do with their second level defenders. But the numbers right now say if you don't pressure him, you might be able to get there with your defensive line. But if you don't pressure him, he hasn't been great. But do you want to keep your cornerbacks and your safeties out there for three, four seconds in a play and hope they can hold on? All I ask, Mike, is that you don't boo him. I don't want you to hurt his feelings. He gets very upset about that. Okay? That's a bad uh, sign, right? It's a very bad sign. Very, very bad sign. Uh, but to your point about the clean and under pressure thing, um, again, you, you know, like the first couple stats from the first couple games, and I'll, I'll take it even further back and go um, to last year, all of last season. Uh, obviously, different different situation for him, um, not at Pitt, uh, but he had more turnover-worthy plays as deemed by Pro Football Focus when kept clean and not under pressure than he did when he was under pressure. Like further to your point, and, and it's going to, I I have a feeling it's going to drive fans crazy that, that there's no blitzing. I mean, that's, that's kind of just the tendency of most people, uh, the casual viewer of, Oh, just blitz him, just blitz him. Um, and I'm not sure I'm with you. I'm not sure that's the answer in this game. I don't know. I did a lot to be exotic and disguise some things. And maybe that's some of the stuff that they're talking about. Um, Cause they, they were, I don't want to say they were vanilla, but they just did not do a lot of the pre-snap stuff that they were trying to avoid for fear of confusion against Penn state. Like they, they didn't do a ton before the snap and, and to look different. I, I really wonder if they kind of spent some time doing that. Is that the change, the schematic stuff they were talking about? Um, and then just to be, to be completely fair with the stats on Jerkovich when he's not blitzed, 16 for 23 when he is blitz 11 for 32 you see a difference there 
Um, that's 70% to 35%. So he's he's worse by half when he's blitzed. Um, the running game, I, I don't know, Chris, like they've been giving it to a bunch of guys, but it certainly looks like they've got a big guy that can run the ball who's come out of nowhere for them. I shouldn't say nowhere, but uh, Carter, 5'11", 240, likes to run it outside. He's the third string guy coming in, but he got he got the ball moving the first two games he's played, maybe more so than the other two guys. But th- their running game is probably at the mercy of their offensive line, maybe the tight end too. And West Virginia, you know, three yards rushing last game and then didn't do a terrible job against Penn State's running back either. That front hasn't been bad, and this will be a challenge for them. But again, man, this is similar to West Virginia. If you're going to try to make the quarterback beat you instead of the running game, you have to control the running game. How do they go about that? Where do they look? Who do they stop here? Uh, as, as as a group, as a whole, um, it tended to go outside. They were they were the opposite of um, Cincinnati in that week two game. As I talked about, Cincinnati running it right back up the middle, getting chunk yardage chunk yardage against them. Well, more than half of their of uh, Pitts runs were to the far far outside, left end or right end, and we're, so that means way outside of the tackle. Um, and, and they found a lot of success out to the left end, outside of left tackle, six rushes for 64 yards. Um, not quite as much out on the right end, but seven for 21, obviously not a lot, but it's just not a lot of success really anywhere else. I mean, I'm looking at the, at the splits here at the different, at the different gaps that they're running you know, two for eight, three for negative two, one for one, one for four, one for negative one. So their best success was. Designed runs way out left and QB scrambles. Other than that, they couldn't get anything. I mean, similar to West Virginia here, just searching for sources of offense. Um, and I say that West Virginia had a ton of points last game, but did so when a kind of unexpected source of offense came out from there. I really wonder if there's an X factor, if there's somebody out there. It could be a Horton, uh, it could be a Ray, it could be somebody on the pit side line we haven't seen before who just hasn't come through. It could be Bub Means for all we know. Like, can he be? You know, an 0 for 6 guy, a 2 for 15 guy throughout the season. You'd think not. He's a good player at times in the past. So we'll have to see that. Uh, let's fast forward, Chris. After the game, starts at 7.30. Could be quick because these both teams like to run the ball. Uh, we expect not a high score. So let's say uh, 11 we're talking on Saturday night. That'd be awesome. No weather. Knock on wood here. Who, what are we talking about to describe the outcome we saw at Mountaineer Field? All right, I'm going to go out on a limb here um, because I think kind of the obvious answer is uh, quarterback. I want to go somewhere else. And I'm going to go with Jared Bartlett. I'm going to pick this as the annual Jared Bartlett two to three sacks and wreaking havoc game. You get He gets one of them a year, and I'm picking this one as it because – they Cincinnati was able to get into Jerkovich's face and cause all sorts of issues for him last game. Um, when they brought guys off the edge, I'm looking at the PFF stats for this week two game against, yeah, this is against Cincinnati. He was seven of 12 for 135 yards and two touchdowns when he was not blitzed. When he was blitzed, Jerkovich completed only three of 20 passes. Three of 20. <laughs> Now, if you're going to bring Jared Bartlett off the edge like that, and again, we know he's capable of it. We've seen it. We've seen him get these two to three sack games. We've seen him be a non-factor. I'm picking Jared Bartlett as as my difference maker in this game and the guy that's going to step up. 
All right, I was going to think about the pass rush and pressuring Jerkovic's but I probably should have gone first. But, okay, you took that one away from me. As I'm speaking here to fill some time, I'm going to come up with an answer, and I'm, I'll probably be cliche and very coach-speaky, but this one, I, I just think the teams are close. It's going to be close. You're going to see a little bit of nerves and a little bit of conservatism practice on both sides there. There may be times where one or the other reaches, but I really wonder about turnovers here too. West Virginia has kept it clean for the most part. Nothing out of Garrett Green yet to really – endanger the ball pass a handoff a loose handle on a run anything like that um, whereas Jerkovic had some issues holding on to the ball last week um, has not thrown an interception though and, and has been careful with possession both teams right now are even in turnover margin I think 2-2 each way that's not a lot of turnovers in two games early season football you see that and honestly West Virginia's offense doesn't even count one of the turnovers that's special teams neither Preston Fox or Jacoby Spells depending on who you want to blame and believe there it's not going to be this clean when it's emotional and it's not going to be this clean when you figure both defenses will be taking chances to try to make something happen. And maybe both offenses are taking chances because they've been kind of stuck in the doldrums here for a little bit, not withstanding last week's results for West Virginia, but can they do something? Will they try too hard? Will they push an envelope when they need to like to slide it? I wonder if a turnover battle isn't an obvious pick, but I also wonder if it isn't conclusive at the end, we will find out Saturday night, Chris, what's left on the site as we get ready for kickoff usual by the numbers three key matchups coming uh fresh set um, just early uh, wednesday afternoon midweek recruiting update went up we'll have visitor reaction after the game so gonna be a big weekend staying dry stay in the press box enjoying the backyard brawl first time since 2011 mountaineers panthers 730 abc until then i am mike casaza and I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you then.